Hello, and welcome to Health Views with Deb Friesen, MD, a podcast about health and wellness within today's healthcare landscape. I'm your host, Dr. Deb Friesen with Kaiser Permanente, and I've been working in healthcare for over 20 years. During that time, I've learned that the most powerful tool for healing is the power of listening and the value of asking the right questions. Come join me as we'll together explore timely topics that impact people, businesses, and communities. Now let's check out today's view. On today's episode, I sit down with Dr. Omar DeWood, Chief Medical Officer at CALM. As a healthcare thought leader over the past two decades, Omar has dedicated his career to innovation and transformative change. He is passionate about helping people around the globe lead healthier, happier lives by building resilience through better sleep and improved mindfulness. Omar also has an impressive professional resume and healthcare journey. He has been honored as both a Howard Hughes and a National Cancer Institute Research Scholar and was named the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society 2010 Silicon Valley Man of the Year. Following our conversation, stay with us to experience a three-minute body scan. A body scan is one of the most effective and easy ways to begin a mindfulness meditation practice. Research suggests that this mindfulness practice can help reduce stress, increase focus, improve well-being, and decrease aches and pains. I highly recommend it. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited about having this conversation with you. And I was hoping that you would actually start out by telling us a little bit about yourself, your own journey in medicine, and then how that journey led to CALM. Sure, Deb. Thank you so much. Very, very excited uh, to be here speaking to you and the entire Kaiser Permanente family. Um, so my name is Dr. Omar Dawid. I'm the Chief Medical Officer uh, for CALM, uh, which is based here in San Francisco. And uh, I'm a physician. Uh, I uh, have been on a journey, uh, and a journey that is fueled by fire inside me that started many years ago as a teenager when I had stage four cancer. And that journey has led me on a path uh, to really help uh, people all around the world live happier and healthier lives, uh, and do that on a number of, of different levels. And, and at Calm, uh, front and center, that's something that we do um, by helping people um, really support their stress and anxiety, um, and do that in a way in which we can impact their everyday lives. So this journey for impacting the world through your own experiences was not a straight and narrow path. And I know that you have had a roundabout education that not many of us can even imagine. Um, undergrad in chemistry, a master's in public health, um, in cancer epidemiology. Then you had to go and get an MBA, go to med school at Georgetown, residency in surgery, and then on top of that, a fellowship in interventional radiology. So I'm putting this all together, and I'm thinking that you're maybe just two years out of your education. What was that all about? <laughs> you know, I'm a very curious person, uh, and I follow my heart, and I follow my passion, uh, and it's guided me throughout my entire life. And I've been very lucky to have a family that has been supportive of my circuitous path. Uh, my curiosity, I believe, has led me into a lot of really interesting areas, and every aspect of my education, of my professional background of my ups and downs through my personal life um, has contributed to me, I believe, better understanding people, better understanding myself. At the end of the day, that's helped me uh, be a key member and key leader in helping to innovate solutions that um, 
Frankie, at the end of the day, can help people um, live better lives. I imagine many of your patients were really sorry to lose you um, and to say, what a loss, all that education. You're not even practicing medicine anymore. How do you respond to that? Well, I, I think I think of it more as rather than practicing, contributing. And we can contribute to medicine. And I believe we all who are in the medical field, whether it be clinicians or different varieties of, of individuals within the medical community, all extremely valuable. We're all there to contribute. They to contribute to people's overall health and well-being. And on many levels, I believe I'm contributing to medicine in a different way, but for me, an extremely meaningful way that, uh, you know, I think has changed the way on, on many levels that, 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 we, that we support people. Yeah, absolutely. And the impact is different. Instead of one by one, um, really increasing that exponentially, especially with the work that you're doing now. And I don't know about you, but as a physician, when I look at this world that we're living in, we can't help but look through a physician's eyes. We think about impact. We think about the people that are out there that we're caring for. And now we're in the middle of a global health epidemic. Um, people's physical health, their mental health, because of the impacts of the pandemic on the economy, their, their financial health, all of it's intertwined. So many challenges going on right now. There's social distancing, quarantining. And I think the biggest thing is that we just don't even know when it's going to end. Uh, when can we resume our regular lives? Will we even get to resume our regular lives? So let's talk a little bit about kind of where we're all at right now and how we're feeling. What have you observed? Yeah, I think. Um a couple of things. I embrace vulnerability, and I'm um, I'm in my late forties now. I can't say that I, you know, would have said that twenty years ago. I think embracing vulnerability has been a, a learning for me. But I bring that up because by embracing vulnerability, um, I've been able to normalize in a way the feelings of anxiety, of stress, of fear that I have. It's it's, there's an unknown out there right now. Um, and we don't have anything to anchor to. We've never experienced this. I don't think anyone on the planet's experienced what we're experiencing right now. And so by being vulnerable and admitting to that and sharing that with my team, with my friends, with my family, you help others create a dialogue around. So what I've been focusing on and working with others around me to focus on is what can we control within this? What does feel normal? We get up every day still. The sun's still rising. We still can focus on fitness and health, our relationships, even if the way that we communicate is different. And that, frankly, has helped me see that there still is a normal that's there. It's a core. What's around it and the frame around it may be different. Yeah, they, it very much is. It's our new normal, whatever that is. And I think that it's also kind of shattered the fantasy that everything was going to be the same. Never never has anything been the same or gone on the way it was or continually getting better. Um, and, and I think the difference is that we are facing that all at the same time now, that we have this kind of collective grief and set of feelings that we're dealing with here. Yeah. So let's dig a little bit more into some of those um, uh kind of physiologic responses that we have when we're stressed out. Um, you mentioned a lot of those already, but would you talk a little bit more about that kind of from your physician hat? What is that like inside the body? What's actually going on for us? What's, what happens is sometimes, and the pandemic is a really, really good example, is you get stress and anxiety that occur. 
uh, and stressors that are out there from things being unknown, from things being uncertain, from things being new. Those three ingredients together are at a heightened level and they're persistent. Well, when these become persistent, the body doesn't come down and relax. So now you start getting a number of adverse effects. Number one in that is that the way that we pass information from our brain through the amygdala, the, the kind of meaty part of our brain into the prefrontal cortex, and obviously I'm kind of creating a basic picture of this, that leads to decision-making becomes impaired or become cloudy. You just don't make as good decisions. And if we think about it, we've all been in the situation sometimes where somebody gets us so angry and so revved up and you just can't think and you make poor decisions. And what I'm seeing now is people who are so chronically revved up that they describe that they have brain fog. Exactly. That their decision-making is actually kind of chronically impaired, and they feel like they just can't focus. They can't make those decisions. They're not collaborating like they used to be able to. That's absolutely right. And then you get a cycle that goes beyond that. You know what's going to happen when you put your head down on your pillow at night? You're not going to sleep well. You're going to wake up the next morning in a stressful and anxious environment with poor sleep and a poor foundation for decision-making. And then you make worse decisions. And then the next night you sleep even worse. And it becomes a vicious cycle. Yeah. And Omar, I think that we are close enough in age that when we were in med school, we didn't really understand the role of sleep. And actually, even the the what third circulation that happens in our cerebral spinal fluid, where it's actually cleaning itself as we sleep and how important it is that we not only get enough hours of sleep, but that we get high quality sleep in order to clean things up in order to be a better thinker and doer the next day. 100%, 100% agree. I, I, I agree. I did not appreciate that as well. And in fact, it's almost a badge of courage sometimes to say that you didn't sleep, right? Oh, I did all these things and I'm so stressed and work is so hard and I didn't sleep and aren't I great? Um, You're not actually doing yourself a positive. It's not a, it's a disservice to you. And and I didn't realize that. I don't think a lot of us realize that. Yeah. The other piece that I think is fascinating is this, the effects of stress on the immune system. Yeah. And the chronic inflammation, again, it's it's not just that our adrenaline is high, but that it's actually affecting inflammation in our bodies. Yeah. Um, it's affecting it in our tissues. I mean, there's real studies around that, that, again, that chronic stress is affecting um, how things are communicating in our body um, through the brain, through the rest of the body and the circulation system there as well. Completely agree. Completely agree. Um you know, there's so much work on that in oncology, in infectious disease, in a lot of different areas that people just fight off infection better. People yeah. uh, get through an illness fast uh, if they um, if they are at different stress levels and, and and lower anxiety levels. And you know, there's a fascinating study: med students and law students, probably the highest stressed uh, student populations, and so uh, where they studied individuals during exam time. Those that had participated in a meditation type of practice and those that didn't participate in any meditation mindfulness practice. And what they found was the ability to actually uh, have different signs that were indicative of a better functioning immune system, uh, fighting off infection, 
you were in a much better place for those that actually were in the stressful exam time would practice some level of mindfulness that taught them how to actually know more about themselves, know more about the environment, and relax themselves than those that didn't. Yep. Seems like it's common sense, but there's just so much evidence out there that points to that. Uh, it's fascinating. Well, and even just reframing, I remember um, before my big test in med school, um, I would say to my husband, oh, I'm so excited about this test. And he's like, are you excited or are you nervous? I'm like, I don't know, it feels like excitement, but it was nervousness. Um, But calling it excitement is a little bit more positive than saying nervous. So I found that that was true in a lot of my patients who would come to me with a description of symptoms sometimes. And for me, it was, oh my gosh, you're really, you're suffering with anxiety or you're having depression. But those words didn't resonate. They didn't actually connect those things with their symptoms. So we've talked about those words. Could we talk about what is it? What is the feeling of anxiety or dread or grief in our bodies? What does that actually feel like in your experience? Uh, I think it feels different for everyone. Um, uh, it just manifests differently because where are you on that spectrum and what coping mechanisms do you have? So I'm going to take a physical health example for a second. So if, if we were to, you and I were to say to each other, what does it mean to run 10 miles? Like, what does it feel like? Okay. It's going to feel different for me than for you, than for, um, you know, 10 other people. Why? Because each of us, have trained or not trained to a different degree and prepared ourselves to deal with that stressor. I love the analogy. That's wonderful. Yep. The, the human brain is no different. The mind is a muscle. We should train it. How much you've trained it is going to determine a big part of the answer to your question, which is how are you going to experience stress? How are you going to experience grief? How are you going to process the various stages that you need to go through? Will you go through the stages or will you delay them at a time in which you're just going to explode? Yep. And so thinking through that um, really just for me puts front and center, number one, we're all individuals. There isn't a one size fits all. Number two is it's important for us to prepare ourselves because I can't be certain of a lot in life. But like I, I tell people, I can be certain that around the corner, there's going to be stress and anxiety for all of us. It's always there. It's coming. Yep. And it's going to come in different degrees and it may knock you down, but don't you want to get back up? And I think that it goes back to, again, the concepts we learned around youth stress versus distress. And sometimes it is a reframing. There's post-traumatic stress. There's also post-traumatic growth. Um, And you mentioned how people are coping. So let's talk about some of the ways that people actually do cope with stress um, in both helpful and unhelpful ways. Um, One of the ways that I've seen, I've experienced, um, you know, instead of the freshman 15, um, I've heard reference to the COVID-19. So a lot of people are eating and drinking differently and not necessarily in a um, optimized way for their overall health. What are some other ways that people cope with stress and chronic stress? Yeah, eating, sleeping more than they need to, um, not being able to get out of bed, um, not doing your daily activities that you need to do, um, losing interest in things that you are interested in, in your hobbies, uh, social distancing in in, in not the way that we are framed it now, but in other words, not ever even getting on calls with people, not returning texts, 
being isolated. Isolation is different than social distancing, right? Um, and isolation can occur both physically or virtually. Um, self-medicating. Uh, I think, you know, it's really fascinating to me when we look at the different sectors of the economy right now. Um, two of the biggest sectors that are booming are chocolate and alcohol. It's really fascinating when you think about that. Um, yep. I, I like both in moderation. But but it is tempting and it is easy to take an outlet right now. It is easy, especially when those that we lean on, our peer support group, are feeling what we're feeling. This is such an odd time that my rock is also cracking. We have a rule in our house that we can't both have a crisis at the same time. But we're, we're having a crisis at the same time with everyone right now. Yes. That's right. And so who's steering the ship, right? And what we have to realize is, this is a time where it's not one person's hands on the steering wheel. It's multiple. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite poets is David White, and um, he recalls a conversation with brother um, David Stendhal Rast, and, and David is saying, you know, I'm, I'm just exhausted. Brother David says back, well, you know what the antidote is? David White says, well, yeah, it's rest. Brother David said, no, the antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. And I think that's what you're talking about, is that connection. I think that we have a diagnosis of loneliness right now. And and I think the antidote really is that connection and feeling like we're in this together. At the same time, we have a responsibility, maybe even a duty, to take care of ourselves the best we can. One of the biggest delights and surprises has been the increase in the ability of people to actually access things on their own that can help them. For instance, an app. I mean, my gosh, who knew that you could actually download this thing onto your smartphone and all of a sudden you're thinking about mindfulness, resiliency, and sleep? Um, so this is um, an epiphany, I think, for a lot of people. And so can you tell me about Calm, the journey of Calm, and why was it developed, and what is its aim? Yeah, so Calm started about seven and a half, eight years ago. Um, uh, so Alex too and, and, and Michael Acton Smith founded the company, uh, and, and really behind their vision, uh, it was really to bring meditation and mindfulness into the mainstream. I think an amazing vision uh, behind channeling, behind uh, or, or pushing forward a mission tell people all around the world live happier, healthier lives. Because if you're able to engage in a meditation of mindfulness practice daily, you truly are going to better understand the world and yourself. You truly are going to actually be able to um, just deal with everything around us in a, in a much more thoughtful way. And as that journey unfolded, uh, they believed, and this has permeated throughout the entire company uh, and continues today, and not only be driven by that mission, but always be driven by being data-informed. And we are an extremely data-informed company. Um, every action we take is data-informed. And I think that's important when we think about how Calm was built, is built, it continues to evolve and, and, and uh, lead in innovation. So in 2017 or so, um, as we were looking at data, um, the team noticed that a lot of people were using Calm right before bed. And, and we, we, we can look at data on an aggregate sense and, and broad swaths, broad swaths of, 
of use, so not individuals, obviously. And and we noticed that, that you know, not one, not two, you know, large numbers of, 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 of individuals using common bed, and why is that? Well, it turned out they were using it for sleep. And frankly, our app wasn't designed for that. So what do you do? Let's go talk to them and figure out what's going on, and, and let's see why. And so this led to uh, Calm developing what was called the sleep story at the time. It's a, a very simple concept, very powerful. Sometimes, oftentimes, the most powerful things come in the most simplistic type of frames. And it's a, a bedtime story. It is similar to the bedtime stories read to when you were a child. We all, all, all oftentimes at, at times read stories. And we fall asleep and wake up refreshed. And why was that? Because when somebody reads your story in a certain tone, a certain cadence, with a certain narrator that appeals to you, you are going to take the millions of things in your head and you're going to replace them by something that's, that's relaxing. Peter Rabbit and his story or and a slew of other very interesting stories. And I can attest to that as well. I mean, it's it's that ability to turn off your own voice in your head while you listen to someone else's voice. Correct. And if that voice is Matthew McConaughey and his smooth Southern drawl, all the better. I still haven't finished whatever story he's trying to tell me. Uh, but it really does kind of help turn off the chatter by having that. And it's and it's not a TV that's blaring with commercials that are coming on back and forth. A lot of my patients would fall asleep to the TV and then they'd have to get up and walk to the bed or they'd do it while they're in bed. But this is much more effective. Is is there any downside to using meditation to go to sleep? Why would someone choose a story instead of meditation? Um, or are they both effective? There, there is no downside. We have so many different facets of calm. You have the sleep stories. You have the calming music. Those are artists that we all know that have been tuned and toned and recorded in our studios to be able to be in a cadence and tone that's relaxing. You have the meditations. You have calm body. Um, and then you have all of that across 190 countries and it's six languages in which it's been localized. So it even speaks to you in your vernacular. And then at the foundation of it, it's not one voice. It's not two or 10. It's a whole plethora of voices of different genders, different races, different sexual orientations that have a diversity and wide appeal. And as you're well familiar with, if you are actually able to feel some, have somebody feel comfortable, build trust, which is what diversity does, then that is the basis for engagement. That is the basis for relaxation. And, and that's frankly one of the cores of calm. Yeah. So while we're talking about voices, um, again, there's a certain quality that does come across. Why celebrity voices? I want to know what they have to say. Uh, I can't believe that I can identify with them. I can't believe that they've been in my situation. All these things come to mind. Uh, Let me take an example. The average uh, uh, Harry Styles fan, and I pull out Harry Styles because he almost broke the internet a week and a half or two weeks ago when uh, he debuted on our our app reading a sleep story. Um, Never thought it was possible to have Harry Styles read them a story to go to bed. And so that is a great way to get somebody to take step one into calm and then see what else is in there. Um, That makes sense. You know, people, majority of people, and I would guess 
with certainty, probably 99% of your uh, of the of the listeners right now from the Kaiser Permanente family haven't been in a game seven in the NBA final. Right. But a few may have. But um, LeBron James has, and and he's also had successes and failures on that path and trajectory. How does he stay even keeled? How does he get up the next morning and stay his best and still be amazing for his kids and his wife and his family and all the other amazing things he does as a role model? Well, it turns out he experiences a lot of the same things we do. It turns out that although his stresses and anxieties may be on the appearance seem different, they're actually very familiar to us. I want to hear how he does it. Wow. That's it. I, I experienced that too, right? You start to identify with that. So we go from collective grief to really our collective experience exactly. um, of being humans together, no matter where we are. And and to your point, no matter where we are in terms of skills, um, exactly. there's always another level that we can go to. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and so, so that's really what's behind a lot of that. Um, I think it's a very smart, very innovative way uh, to help people participate in a in an experience for resilience without having to label it. We're in, in behavioral mental health, we are so plagued by a, a a thinking and a thought that we have to label this as a mental health workshop, a behavioral health workshop, a behavioral health experience. Do we really care about that? Or do we just care that people participate in it and get the value so that they actually can better handle stress and anxiety? I would say the latter. And frankly, that's calm. If you ask yep. the people that use calm all around the world, I bet you most people won't say they use a mental and behavioral health app or experience. And that's okay, but they certainly do have the effects of using one. So let's talk about the effects. We talked about the effects of stress and what that feels like to feel fear and grief. And again, it can be different from all, for all of us as far as um, symptoms and degree. And it's also universal for all of us. So what's the other side of the stress response? What does right feel like? What does it feel like when you get that good night's sleep? Um, speak to me about that a little bit. Well, you feel refreshed. Uh, you mentioned the word cloudy earlier. Uh, it's the opposite of cloudy, which is clarity, right? Um, it's hard to p- take a pause when you're stressed. It's easy to move forward. It's hard to actually find the break. When you're clear, when you're in a state of uh, mindfulness and you develop that, um, you're able to say, you know, Deb, I, I understand your viewpoint. Let me, l- l- let me think about this more. Maybe I can't answer you right now. Maybe I'm not going to jump to just trying to solve this. Maybe that's not what this is about. You actually can truly participate, I believe, um, in everything around you, um, and therefore be your best self. I, I think that's why we talk about people living happier and healthier lives, because to do that means that you're able to not only appreciate life, but you're able to understand it, um, and also understand that you don't need to be perfect. Yeah. It's okay to make mistakes. It's totally okay, because we're going to, and how not to beat yourself up on it. You know, there's um there's a segment that Tamara does. Uh, Tamara Levitt within our uh, experience. I encourage you know anyone listening to to participate and listen to it. It's on gratitude. Gratitude is such a fascinating area to me. 
Because it's not just about giving gratitude, but it's about actually kind of introspection as well. Um, too many times we pat other people on the back and we don't pat ourselves on the back. Yeah. Right. And and that can really be self-defeating. It's interesting. I have a loved one who um, has been going through, again, anxiety, loss, grief, anger, and had tried different things to deal with it and actually said, you know, I, I tried to practice gratitude, but but then I felt guilty for everything I had when others don't have it. Um, so again, I think there's a skill level and, and a lot of this really does come down to practice. We don't expect to get better with anything else we do and yet we want to feel good without having to put that time in and the practice that we need to do that as well to increase that skill level. When we think about, again, that clarity, um, I think about the word flow, and it's a match of skills and challenges. And so we're very challenged right now, which means we have to increase our skill level in order to meet that most effectively and get ourselves into that place of flow so that it feels good for us. I, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you've experienced this with your patients where, you know, I, I bet you've never had a patient say, Hey, uh, I have to run a marathon on Sunday and, um, I haven't trained at all, but, uh, I should be able to do it. Right. Like, no, yeah, exactly. Right. But, but you definitely had, had patients that have said, you know, I, I just went through a divorce and I don't understand why I'm not able to go to work and do everything I need to do and be my best self. Um, even though I've never prepared myself for stress and anxiety and how to deal with it. Right. It's kind of yeah. interesting how we don't, it really we don't think about that. We think the mind should just be ready for everything. And it's not. And one of the things I love about this approach is that it democratizes access, yep. that this is something that we all can do, that this is available. It's when and where we want it. It's not appointment based. It's not insurance based. But this is something that everyone really has access to that can increase that skill set going forward. Agreed. You mentioned earlier um, the science and how are you using the feedback about the app to change the product or the experience for people. And I'd like to talk a little bit about evidence-based science when it comes to meditation. So you and I, we went to med school, we practiced evidence-based medicine, we were constantly open to new information that would change our minds if we got some and we would change the way that we practiced. So is there evidence-based um, uh, on meditation changes that we can actually point to that this actually doesn't just make us feel better, but it, it actually does change things in our brain and body? Yeah, there are hundreds and hundreds of studies that show that if you engage in a meditation practice, that show that if you sleep better, that show that if you um, develop mindfulness, that you can positively affect uh, stress and anxiety levels in the body based on, you know, standard assessments and questionnaires like a PHP-9 and a GAD-7, which are just like fancy names for questionnaires that people have validated that you can have somebody try before and after an intervention. Um, very well-designed study. I think there's pretty much nobody that will argue that there's that linkage. And we study that. We have a whole team um, led by Jen Huberty, uh, who's a, um, a researcher uh, and professor from the Arizona State University, her and her team. They do research on a variety of areas, oncology, on employees across the board, um, on different you know demographics on what the impacts are. 
of using calm and using these types of um, these types of vehicles. And it's it's fascinating. You you mentioned oncology. Uh, we talked about the immune system earlier. We see antibody response to vaccines go up, which of course is going to be a huge issue. You know, are the vaccines going to work for us in this time? How can we strengthen our immune system? Mindfulness meditation is one way. Grit and great sleep is another way. Um, the phys- physical fitness of our bodies. Um, heart rate variability is one of those weird things that scientists look at. And and I know that meditation has been studied when you when you go there. So all of these things together, again, it's a body-mind connection, um, making it interesting, making it enjoyable, and making it a habit so that we do increase our fitness, as it were, our, our muscle memory, our brain mes- memory going forward. So we talked a little bit about post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic growth. So how do we grow from this experience that we're in right now? What's the silver lining? Well, we're all getting through it in our own ways. I, I think first is reflection. Self-reflection is important. Um, what have we, uh, what, what have we learned from this experience? So we've all had more quiet time and reliance on things that were not 21st century type of things in, in this period. A lot of people have gone back to hobbies and books and other things that you typically don't, we haven't, we haven't touched board games. Right, board games. I'm yes, um, yeah. City of Catan. The things that we're doing at home these days, which yeah, we just had a hard time finding room for before. Exactly. Um, the, the way we communicate has changed. Uh, we've relied more on voice. We've relied more on actually having to participate in discussions. How we build relationships, because many of us have had to build both personal and professional relationships during this time. Um, and we've also learned about what's missing. Uh, I, I think for me this front and center highlights the need for us to continue to prepare our minds and our bodies and that you can't do one without the other. You just can't. It's so important to be able to actually um, develop both at the same time. Not because the pandemic is coming down the road, but just because it's life. It's how you deal with life. Life is a collection of unknowns. It's a collection of turns and twists, and we're going to go down a road that's curvy and a road with a lot of blind spots. Let's prepare ourselves for how to approach it in a mindful way, in a way in which we can understand it, and frankly, in a way in which we don't have to be by ourselves. And don't be afraid to be vulnerable and ask others for help. That's what I take away from all this. Because we are literally and metaphorically in this together. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a wonderful conversation. And um, I, um, I think you told me that you actually brought a gift for the listeners. Um, So we are going to actually transition into that right now. And thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed you. I've enjoyed the content. And um, I enjoy going to sleep um, and sleeping better through um, Calm as well. So thank you for that. And uh, what do you have for us, Omar? So I have a uh, three-minute body scan uh, from Tamara Levitt. And we're going to, if everyone will allow me, uh, is to bring Tamara into your homes at the moment. Um, this is a small taste of the calm experience, uh, and one in which let's take three minutes uh, to uh, be still, to listen to Tamara, 
um, and to let our minds truly participate um, in this, uh, I think, wonderful short little period here. All right. I'm going to participate too. So thank you. Welcome to this three-minute guided body scan. Start by sitting comfortably with a straight back and close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths in and out to ground you in this moment. Feeling your breath as it enters your body and as it leaves your body. As the breath flows in, follow it in. Then as the breath flows out, follow it through to its completion. With each out-breath, let your body become heavy, sinking deeper into your chair. Now bring your attention to your head, feeling into your scalp, the forehead, and temples. Observe your eyes, cheeks, your ears, jaw, and chin. Breathing in and out, letting all tensions release. Now lower your focus to the neck and shoulders, letting them soften. Bring awareness to your arms, extending it down towards the wrists, the palms, and fingers. Observing any sensations that arise on the surface of the skin or deeper within. Now come to the chest and torso area, being aware of the abdomen and bringing your awareness around to the back, observing your upper back and lower back. And if you notice any intensity here, try directing the breath into those areas, letting them soften. Then bring your attention to your pelvis and hips. And scanning the legs, the ankles, the feet, and the toes. Direct your breath into these areas, relaxing into stillness. Notice how paying attention to the entire length of your body feels. Then, when you're ready, bring your attention back to the room and slowly open your eyes. Enjoy this relaxed, peaceful state and take it with you into your day. All right, Omar, that was indeed enjoyable and refreshing. I can see myself doing that. This is something that uh, I can increase my skill level at for sure. Thank you so much. Is there anything that you wish I would have asked you that I haven't asked you? No, this was great, Deb. I hope it's uh, everything that you wanted. And I felt like it was a great conversation. I didn't really feel like an interview. I felt like we were just talking. So I enjoyed it very much. Thanks to my guests for joining me today. And thank you for listening to the Health Views podcast with me, Deb Friesen. 
I hope you'll share this episode with colleagues, friends, and family members who are interested in diving deeper into meaningful and relevant health and wellness topics. I look forward to the next conversation, and we'll share another episode of Health Views with you soon. Take good care. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. The content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the listener's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professionals.